which Pablo was also on Dragon's Den once, but he's not gonna talk about that. Hey, hey, I'm Danielle Ryan, and this is Adulting 101. Being an adult is stressful, and this podcast was specifically designed to help you navigate the crazy world of adulthood. So buckle up, and let's get into the episode. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. First of all, I want to thank each and every one of you who has reached out to me and shared your feedback on the new format of the podcast and how much you're enjoying it. So far, it's been positive feedback. Everyone seems to be really appreciating this more like intimate connection that they're getting through listening to me just sort of speak what is on my mind. I also hope you enjoyed last week's Q&A episode. I had a lot of fun recording that one and it was one of our longest episodes so far. I think this week's is probably gonna beat that. I don't know yet because I haven't fully edited it yet, but um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And again, if you want me to do another Q&A in future, please just leave me your questions. You can send them to me through direct message on Instagram and I'm more than happy to stockpile those till I have enough to record another episode. I will also take this time to thank each of you who has left me a review on iTunes as of late. They seem to be flooding in and I super appreciate that. It's very helpful in getting my podcast shown to more people who listen to similar material. And I, again, appreciate your time and effort in doing that. And if you want a Starbucks gift card in exchange for your time and effort, just shoot me an email, info at Lifestyle by Design Studio. And I'd be more than happy to send that your way. But I am so excited to get into this week's interview. I brought on a friend of mine who has been a very close friend for over 10 years now, which seems absolutely crazy. We met during Frosh Week in university back in 2010. It was just, you know, a regular night hanging out in residence. I was doing cartwheels through the hallway. This gentleman was standing at the end of the hall. I probably almost knocked him over. Next thing you know, we're racing each other through every floor of the building. I'm not a runner, I hate cardio for those of you who know me. And uh, little did we know we would form a lifelong friendship after that. So he is actually about to venture his way over to Vancouver. So we got together before he left and recorded this interview. It is unlike anything we've ever recorded on the podcast before, there is zero structure to this. It's literally just him and I sitting down having a conversation about literally the most random stuff. Startups, Jeff Bezos, TikTok, social media, how to be a parent all of the things that you didn't want to listen to us talk about. So if this isn't really your style of interview, you know what, that's okay. But we had a lot of fun getting together, chatting. And I honestly think that this is just a really accurate representation of the kinds of conversations that him and I have when we get together. Without further ado, let's go ahead and let's get into the interview. Yo, what's up, dude? Hey, hey, hey. Don't mind the dog in the background. He is having a meltdown, as per usual. What's up? All right, so here we are. Back at the podcast, I have my dear friend here, and I have no idea what we're going to talk to you about today. That's excellent. We'll figure something out. Hello. So, Pablo, how about you start by introducing yourself to the crowd? What's your name? Where are you from? Age, sex, location, Oh, wow. Okay, whole thing. Um, I'm Pablo Eater. I was born in Mexico City. I came to Canada 10 years ago and I have a startup making plush toys called Makeship at makeship.com. I'm typically working with YouTubers. Not sponsored. <laughs> just, just mentioning. <laughs> All right, so how about we give a little bit of backstory? I feel like that doesn't really do justice to how you got to where you are right now. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like you were birthed into the world into this situation. So let's have some fun and talk about it. All right. So I came to Waterloo. That's where we met 10 years ago. 
like yeah. 2010. Oh my god, we're so old. We met in 2010. I was in university. I came to Canada. I always wanted to come to Canada since I was like nine years old. I had a really, really good trip in Edmonton when I was nine and I absolutely loved Canada. So I always wanted to come here. So I only applied to Canadian universities and I ended up getting in Waterloo, which is where I met Danielle. And then shortly after, I did a couple of startups that didn't work out. And then my latest startup started really, really figuring things out last December. And then the startup luckily did really well. So, so we grew from about two people to 20 people in 11 months with no investment. And that was really, really exciting year. And here we are. Is that, is that a better... <laughs> description i don't like talking about yeah no that's good what's that like though here's what i want to know so pablo was talking about how he's had a number of different startups and i've kind of watched him through that over the years working for quite some time especially in like your past couple startups you were it's not like you were there for two months and then gave it up like you right. were well invested in terms of time into those projects so i want to know what it's like to work towards a project that you're super passionate about have it fail, learn from that, try something different, have that fail as well, and then come around, do it one more time, and see like super success in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, I, I think what, what makes people, or what makes startups really difficult is that they have to grow at a certain size to be viable. Like most companies never really work out. So when you're building a startup, you're trying to build a company that is growing at a certain specific rate. And a lot of my startups were growing for a while, right? Like you mentioned, I had a couple of startups I didn't give up right away. My first startup lasted four years. So obviously we, some things were going right and some things were not, and it was in 3D printing. So the industry itself wasn't growing very fast. And I lost one of my biggest clients. They were not doing that well financially. And then I lost all the faith from my potential investors because I lost my biggest client. And then when all of this happened at the same time, I, I decided I don't think that I can pull this off and I decided to close it. So now we started monitoring really quickly, like how much are we growing? Uh, are we competitive and different enough that we're not going to end up competing with a, another bigger brand? And if we are, um, what are we going to do to differentiate ourselves? Right. So as a startup, you always want to be so different that there's no other better solution. Right. Like if you look at uh, I think Airbnb is a good example because the idea is so crazy. It's like, yeah. People will pay to have, or, or get paid to have strangers uh, sleeping in their homes. Yeah. What's really funny is that the idea was so crazy that uh, almost every investor that the, the, the founders of Airbnb met with uh, uh, rejected them, right? Like, which is common. Like, I mean, most startups are rejected by every investor. It is not like what you see on TV where you just pitch yourself once and make a bunch of money. I just want to clarify that. Yeah, it's like completely not like what Dragon's Den is like. Which Pablo was also on Dragon's Den <laughs> once, but he's not going to talk about that because he doesn't like to. <laughs> yeah, that's not a fun thing. Something about Dragon's Den, they, they only like show like 30% of the episodes they film, or at least I, that's my understanding from when we went to film. So they didn't show my episode, it was really bad. But my girlfriend at the time was also on Dragon's Den and they shot her episode. Yeah, so, the boxes, right? Yeah, 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 that was really, really fun. But but yeah, so, so startups, you want them to grow at a certain size. And if you realize that the idea hasn't gathered enough momentum to continue growing, then it's, it's really not worth doing. And you have to kind of evaluate that relatively quickly. And I feel like I would have evaluated that way quicker for my first company if I had been more transparent to myself and said, okay, no, I have this standard. And if I go below this standard, I should stop the startups not worth it i feel like i pushed it too much because it was my first startup it's your baby yeah so what's that like what's it like to invest a lot of time a lot of money a lot of other people's money 
into a project and be like so set on having it be successful and then having it not work out and having to be the one to be like, okay, this isn't working. I need to let it go. Because obviously, emotionally, you're probably very invested in that project. So it can't really be easy to be like, okay, see you later. Like It was fun while it lasted. No, for sure. It's very hard for so many reasons, right? Like there's the case of this guy I've been working with for four years called Jonathan Ellsworth. And Johnny has been working with me in three companies, right? And I got him to quit, I think, originally Microsoft to join me. Mm -hmm. Then that startup failed. Then he quit BlackBerry to join me. That startup failed. And recently he quit Hewlett Packard and, and then joined us. So there's nothing worse than having to tell your own friends that sacrifice so much because as much as I sacrifice, it hurts even more to know that other people sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it always hurts more to, for, for your friend to be the one that he quit and now he has to find a job. Yeah, it's, it's extremely painful. I mean, there, there's no way, way around it. It, it. it takes weeks and months to recover. And at the same time, you're trying to find a job or trying to find the next thing. Mm-hmm. So, so you feel uh, scared and lost. And yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the worst moments. But I feel like after the first time, um, you get a lot better, mm-hmm. right? Like like anything painful in life, after you've done it a few times, um, your brain knows why it's so painful. Um, it doesn't make it less painful, but at least you're aware of how painful it is. And you know that you can get through it. I yeah. think about that a lot, the idea that like when you're having a really bad day or you're going through something that's really difficult to deal with, you just think back to like, okay, what's the last worst thing that I dealt with? And, oh, wait, like, I already moved past that because it's six months later since that bad thing happened. Exactly. So I'm going to survive anyway. Yeah, that, that's exactly the process. And, and it's kind of like working out, right? Like, the first time you exercise, your heart is going up and, and it's uncomfortable and you're sweating. And, and then the next day you can't get out of bed. <laughs> exactly. But, but then you do it a hundred times. And even though you still feel that way, it, like, now it's exciting. Now you look forward to it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, okay, now that I look forward to failure, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not quite the same analogy, but... Kind of like your brain is like, this is okay. This is part of the process. And that's why you should like be completely transparent with people in the younger startup. You should tell them, okay, th- th- this is what's good. This is what's bad about it. And this is our probability uh, that we think we're going to gather success, right? There's an investor called Peter Thiel. And Peter Thiel, m- more interesting thought is that he believes that in order to create a new company that grows fast, um, like I mentioned before with Airbnb, you have to believe something that most people disagree with you on, right? And when you when you watch Jeff Bezos um, started um, starting Amazon, you know when he became a billionaire? I have no idea. Uh, uh, guess. Yesterday. <laughs> no, I mean for the first time. I have no idea. I honestly have okay, no okay. concept of the timeline of Amazon. So. Um, Jeff Bezos became a billionaire, I think, ninety eight. Wow. Yeah. Holy, that's crazy. Yeah. Right. Like a lot of people don't realize that. Um, like he started Amazon, I think, ninety four or ninety five. Okay. Um, because he said, okay, the internet is going to be huge. What product is extremely complicated to sell? Because no no one physical store could s- sell very well. And he discovered books is probably the, the, the product that is, is most complicated to have all the books in your store, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's so many types of books. So he said, okay, well, it's so complicated that what I can do is I can just connect to all of the f- these different book distributors so I can sell any book in the world. And then I just tell the distributors where to ship it to, yeah. right? So I, I feel like w- when you create a startup, you have to kind of like believe that there's a this new technology, new approach is so much better than any other previous approach that you can start um, selling to a new market and growing very, very fast. And, and he had to do a lot of crisis management, right? Because in the, you have the dot-com bubble crash in 2000. So Amazon had stiff competition from, from everyone, from bookstores. Like bookstores could have started Amazon, right? Like yeah. Barnes & Noble could have created a website and exactly. set up all the distributors, but they didn't. That's because 
the bigger the company, the more structured it is. And then it's very difficult to manage crisis and new technologies effectively. Mm-hmm. Well, and they'd be like kind of limited. So like Indigo or Barnes and Noble, all are like limited too. Like we sell books online. Whereas with Amazon, because they're not an actual bookstore or they weren't a bookstore that went online. Exactly. That allowed them to diversify into literally anything you could ever want. Exactly. Is available on Amazon. <laughs> exactly. And, 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 and that's, a, that's a big challenge, right? Like when, when you're a small company that you want to eventually sell everything. And yeah, maybe it took him, you know, 12 years, but, but now it's a thing. I think that's a huge learning point too, though, for anyone in like a startup or a small business is like focusing and this is a lesson that i've been teaching myself over the past few months is focusing on one thing and even if you want to be like the doer of everything and to have all of the products and all of the services it's not an effective way especially if you're trying to scale a business is to like pick one thing do it really well and then think about like okay where can we go from here and i know you've been doing that in the current startup that you're in is like we specialize in plush dolls but eventually we want to do like these other products. However, it's important that we know that we are the best at this one thing before we start telling people, well, we also are pretty good at these other things too. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that goes back to the competition thing. It's like you want to do one thing better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And then you grow tremendously because like nobody else offers what you offer. And then you can start offering new things. And then, and then now you start getting faster and faster and better at competition. So yeah, it's always important to start with a, your small business with a, some sort of niche some sort of market that you can capture very, very well and then and then growing from there, right? And the difficulties is in the, the process of finding what you, what you can do 10 times better than anyone else. That's a hard process. And it's a, an even harder process maybe to, once you get that, to be able to transition into other services or products, right? Or to know like what would complement what Yeah, like doing. that's super hard, very, very hard. And on top of that, right? Like on top of pulling all of that off, you have to learn how to like do all, all the other business stuff like oh, how to hire people how to manage people how to, how to convince people to join you when they're working at a big company mm-hmm. that, that that's a big one um and i think it comes down to personality people who want to take a risk and do something exciting with very few people are very different than the people who want a lot of like safe safety nets security security which is fine too if that's what you're yeah into. absolutely right that's why i think it's a personality thing it's like there's nothing wrong with where you are in the risk distribution mm-hmm. like like risk benefit curve but, but you have to make sure that you are in the, you're taking the highest risk where you're still comfortable going to work, mm-hmm. right? Um, less risk than that is probably a little bit boring and more risk than that, you're probably a little bit nervous. So finding that out. But, but how, how do people find that out? What do you think? Figure out what they're comfortable with? Yeah, how do you figure out how much risk you should take? I don't know, for me, I always connect it back to like values. So like what's important to me and is this opportunity whether it's like a job at a startup or a job at a regular corporation like a larger corporation i guess does this like what my life's going to look like if i take either one of those opportunities does it align with the things that are important to me so like i've talked about this on the podcast before but for me freedom is one of my like largest values and so being structured to my cubicle at my nine to five job didn't really align with the freedom that I wanted to create. Something that's so huge to me is having that flexibility to work when I want and be able to sort of like create my life or my business around my lifestyle rather than create my lifestyle around my job. Do you think uh, now that um, people are working from home um, and if you have children, uh, presumably they're also at home, do you think we should get get rid of nine to five timelines? Because 
I think they were designed kind of so that you drop off your kids, do work, pick them up. But if you don't have to do those activities, do you think nine to five is now uh, obsolete? I don't know. I feel like perhaps the work from home structure will definitely be more encouraged in the more traditional workplaces. Like again, I think back to my nine to five and how if I had ever suggested that they let me work from home, which I totally could have done because I spent most of the day filling out Excel spreadsheets, <laughs> they would have not been open to that idea. Like this is impossible. You could never do that, blah, blah, blah. But now that the pandemic has sort of forced a lot of those older school businesses into operating from that way, it kind of opened their eyes, I think, a little bit. However, I can't really speak to people with children because I feel like for some of them, perhaps going to work is like a break that they need. So being That's... able to provide <laughs> childcare and work at the same time maybe is not the ideal situation. But I definitely have high hopes that moving forward, the the sort of like drive to the office structure will be either like optional or sort of like I've heard some companies even now going to like an you have to come to the office at least two days a week it doesn't matter which day you come or whatever and I know a lot of people still operate within like the regular business hours so I don't really foresee that changing anytime soon mm. but who who's to say in my ideal world we could work whenever we wanted as long as we got all our work done in the week <laughs> yeah maybe the question is like why do parents need breaks from their kid because welcome I, I, to parenting 101 because right. <laughs> I, I i believe that's true right like i agree with, with with that but the question is like okay it's probably that way because you know a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago uh your kids were probably raised by a community instead of two people mm -hmm. and that really distributes the workload communal um, living baby yeah <laughs> So maybe we should go back to that. Like, <laughs> So the point of this podcast is, <laughs> we're starting, nine to five, yeah. we're starting a communal living. <laughs> we're starting a communal living in BC. <laughs> I, I honestly talked to my friend David about that. He also agrees with me. I, I, I think that a lot of kids, there's a lot of depression right now in, in teenagers. And I think a lot of that is because they hear all of these successes through Instagram, through Twitter. Mm -hmm. and, and that gives them like unrealistic expectations of life. And then they're very miserable. And... I was like, well, what, what if we create a little commune in, in, in BC with solar panels and then we don't let our kids touch social media until they're teenagers and, and, then, and then we just raise them as a group or something. Because I, I, I feel like with more self-driving cars, with more technology, it's getting easier and easier to be able to, to create your little, you know, 50, 100 people community. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. I, I need to convince a, a few more people. I was actually watching, this just made me think about a YouTube video I was watching the other day about this girl who, I think she was like either a teenager or like early 20s, and her mom paid, like bought her a bunch of followers on Instagram. So this girl has like over a million followers on Instagram. All of her likes are like artificially bought, whatever. Mm. So she has all these like fake uh, vanity numbers. But she started getting brand deals with like CoverGirl, Maybelline, all of these like major makeup brands. And she was getting invited on all of these like influencer trips. So it was an influencer that was making this video saying how like this girl is stealing work from these people who are actual influencers because everyone that's like engaging with her content is like not real. Um, they're just robots that her mom like paid to have. But like the, the parent was so obsessed with her kid like looking successful and being successful. And then I guess in terms of this conversation, it just got me thinking because then it's like if people like that can create this facade and then you have these kids who are like feeling crappy about their lives because they're looking at these people who are like, quote unquote, so successful, but it's fake. It's like, what kind of reality are we living in? Yeah. And, and, and also, even if it wasn't fake, right? Like the fact that uh, you have these like vanity metrics 
that that your life is surrounding how many likes you get and all of that as a person it's very harmful because again like like what i said before like when, when your startup fails you don't put it on you you say my startup failed because I, I made bad uh, decisions and assumptions and i'll correct that but the people who tie their value to their likes also tie tie their value directly to to, to the results of that right like if, if your instagram fails you're a failure and there's nothing you can do about it mm-hmm. because your image was not enough so so it puts you in this like horrible horrible position um and and that's i feel like one of the big differences between being an individual and being a a, a company or something like that where your behavior is more like what do customers want versus the other one is like this is who i am and if you don't like me then nobody likes me you know like mm-hmm. so like learning how to detach yourself from like the thing that you're working on yeah and i think that's extremely difficult if you're uh, certain types of influencers i, I find that extremely mm-hmm. difficult because they tie their personality and the likes to 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 their value it's, it's very complicated and i do feel bad for them right mm-hmm. or even know. like youtubers if you think about like because their income is literally dependent yeah. on like how many views they get so then i'm sure it's kind of like nobody watched this video i'm a shitty creator and now i'm also broke because youtube didn't pay me <laughs> yeah it's super hard right like depending on the type of creator like I, I think gamers it's really difficult like gamers have to make youtube videos like almost every day otherwise people stop watching them and they have to play like the newest games all the time or they have to be one of the best in the world at one game and I feel like there's big YouTube channels that don't have that at all, where they can make a YouTube video every three months. Like an awesome example is Visas. I don't know if you've ever watched Visas, mm-hmm. but I really like it. And, and they make YouTube videos super infrequently and they do fine. But gamers are, are not allowed to do that because people, people don't have the same attention span um, because Visas makes videos that are like timeless. Like you could watch it in five years or 10 years later and it's still really good. But if you're a specific type of content creator where timing is everything, you have to constantly be making videos and you're constantly worried about that. So I feel like even within the same amount of followers and views, the behavior is completely different depending on who your audience is. And, and that's really rough. Or if your audience was uh, teenagers and then they became adults, they may fluctuate in their taste and now you lost everyone and you constantly are losing everyone, right? Like you can imagine a kid's channel that specializes in like six-year-olds or eight-year-olds mm-hmm. um they never have an audience that that stays because obviously they mature and move on i see that a lot now actually some of like my favorite youtubers started out vlogging when they were like 17 and now they're my age and so they originally had this channel that was geared to like back to school starting college and even when they were past that age they were still making content catered to that age group but now they've kind of reached the point where they're like, I'm 28 years old. I need to start making like 28 year old content. And all of those like younger viewers sort of just fell off because they're like, well, this isn't relevant to me. I don't want to hear about your crazy night out sleeping with a bunch of guys or whatever. Exactly. You know what I mean? So I think that I don't know how, why this turned into a conversation about influencers, but I think that there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes with people who are like content creators or have sort of like that internet job that a lot of us who are just consuming the content don't see like everyone thinks like oh you're an influencer it's not that hard yeah um but like you work with those people every day with your job so i I think the reason i brought it up too is because uh the the thing about influencers that is different than like movie stars is that if like if you ask a kid 30 years ago um what 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 would you like to be as 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 a or like who who are your heroes They, they would say something like you know rock stars or or athletes um, and a lot of these kids understood that they would probably not become those rock stars or athletes themselves. But YouTube and podcasts are so accessible to everyone because everyone has a phone that these kids now know, know they know they have the tools 
So, so now they feel, okay, I actually have a shot at becoming an idol because even, you know, having 10 subscribers means 10 people are watching you. And 30 years ago, you couldn't have 10 subscribers, right? Either you were big enough um, to be... Yeah, you're either famous or not famous. Exactly. There's no in-between. Right, and now we have this gradient, and I feel like that's where the, the harm is to kids because it's like, well, I know I'm somewhere in that gradient and I can explore that and I feel like a failure if I'm, if I'm not tied to the end of, of that distribution, right? And, I've, and that's why I brought it up because mm -hmm. I, I was thinking about the previous comment about the mom that bought the likes for the, yeah. the girl because now all these kids want to become like Twitch streamers or YouTubers. Like yeah. that, that's a cool thing to be right now. Um, and, and the hard part of that is that it's so cheap to try it that you feel like a failure if you fail, right? Because if you feel, well, I have everything I need with my smartphone to be part of this community. Why didn't it work? Yeah, that, that's the hard part. Mm -hmm. Like, why can't I be my idol? And, and for most kids, it's not no flaw of, of them, their own, right? Like there's hundreds of hours uploaded to YouTube every minute. And the chances that they're gonna create content that is watched by millions, it's so low because of that alone, that it has very little to do with the quality of their videos and more about the shareability of their videos, right? It's a very, very interesting topic. Uh, that's cool. That's cool, he <laughs> says. What do you want to talk about? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? Well, we talked about YouTube. Yeah. My favorite thing to talk about. Have you been reading cool books? I actually haven't read any books in probably about four months. Shame. Mm. Yeah, ever since basically my brother passed away, I went through some like situational depression. I have not picked up a book since that time. And I've been telling myself, oh, I should start reading again, but I just, I don't have it in me right now. How do you spend your time then? Um, mostly making TikToks. How's TikTok? Do you like do you like it as a platform? I actually really do. So fun fact, the company that I teach for, GoGo Kid, is actually owned by TikTok. So I knew about TikTok like two years ago, but I was like, this is stupid. This isn't going to catch on. Like Instagram and Facebook are already like the places to be. I was wrong. So about two months ago, I hopped on the TikTok bandwagon and I haven't looked back since. I've been creating basically daily content on there. Really? Yeah, it's mostly, I've seen a lot of other small businesses have like a lot of success with it. Personally, I wouldn't say it's like helped my business grow much or at all really, um, but it's just like a fun creative outlet, I guess. Yeah, like what's so scary about TikTok, I think is how good their algorithm is to figure out what you like and it becomes too addictive very quickly. Yeah, we were talking about this yesterday, how like I'll open TikTok on Dan's phone and all it is is like videos of people cutting grass or playing golf. I'm like, this is so stupid. And then I'm like on mine, I'm like, this is the best day ever. Oh wait, five hours just went by and here I am. Yeah, I, I had to, uh, I had to uh, uninstall it right away. I, un I installed it originally just to try it out and see what it was like. And then I was like, oh, this is just a terrible, terrible uh, time sink. Mm -hmm. Like an infinite time sink. Yeah, probably one of the things that uh, made it grow so fast is that it's really easy to add music and, and edit things with music. And it's easy to go viral, like more so than any other app, I think, because I guess the algorithm is so carefully created to like curate the content for you. So even if I only have like 10 followers and I make a video that would be interesting to you and I don't know you, they're going to show you my video anyway. Like yeah. I grew from, I think I had 20 followers at the beginning of October. By the end of October, I had like 500 and now I, another month later, I have almost 2000. So not to say that I'm like viral, super famous on TikTok, but just like that growth alone. I've been trying to grow my Instagram for like three years now and I'm, I've been capped at 1900 followers right. for like two years. So 
So, so that's probably that's probably addictive, right? Yes and no. Like I said, like I haven't really seen a direct return in my business, so mm. I'm not in, at the point where I'm like, oh, I need to invest all my time in this because like it's my livelihood is dependent on it or like benefiting from it. So I do kind of have the sense to be like, okay, like maybe I should stop wasting my time. <laughs> but again, like I said, it's just like more so just for fun, and I enjoy creating the videos, so I do it and. If they do well, then I'm like, yeah. Or I'll make a video that I think is really good, and then it doesn't get views, and I then I get a little bit upset. I'm like, come on, guys! I put so much time and effort into this, but how, how do you come up with videos? Because they're very short, right? Yeah, everything has to be under 60 seconds. I either will like get inspiration from what other people are doing, or I'll literally just like think of a random idea and try it out. A lot of the times, I'll just like film myself packing an order or something like that, and people seem to be interested. So whatever does well, I'll kind of replicate later on down the road. But Makes sense. So it's almost like the algorithm builds you, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So like whatever I see, I'll be like, oh, that's a cool idea, and write it down. And I think that's a, that's a part of the reason why TikTok is so successful as well, is that like you're kind of encouraged to do that. Like if you do, if you make a cool video, and then I like re replicate it, and then tag you in it, and then it's like fun, engaging community of like, Duet me while you do this thing that I created, mm -hmm. and then everyone's kind of connecting and growing together, if that makes sense. Do you think that's scary that uh, algorithms are getting that good, that w w it's affecting our behavior to that point? A little bit. It's just like the social dilemma or whatever, how they're like, yeah. you only buy what you want because social media made you think that way. <laughs> well, I mean, there's things that I want, right? But how much I want them um, will, will depend on a lot of factors. But when I see that ad 20 times, on the 21st time, I'm going to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really tricky. It's really tricky. And and I, I don't know what the solution is because uh, like I do want people to keep making new products. Um, and if they're good products, I want people to be able to, to get them, right? Like like I want a functional society where you, you can create solutions to problems and people adopt them. But, but I also feel worried that my attention span is becoming so short that I'm also struggling reading books. Because, you know, like I'll read a chapter and before I finish it, I take out my phone and I look at a little bit of Instagram or sometimes I see something uh, aggressive or weird and I'll reply to it or, or agree or disagree with it. And I worry about that. I worry about my attention span, mm -hmm. uh, how it's being affected by that. Yeah, yeah. I, I can definitely relate to that too. And this also makes me think in terms of the algorithm, we were having a discussion yesterday about like our opinions about stuff and how we've been conditioned to like believe certain things or feel a certain way about stuff and specifically we were talking about the election in the states that's going on or was going on and how we were like or i was like at least i don't understand how anyone could want to vote for donald trump and that's just my opinion but then i came to learn that everything i get shown on social media is from like the left perspective because i am a left like politically i'm left so then I'm like, okay, well, these people who are Trump supporters are obviously only seeing things that are geared to the right because they are politically right. So then you and I were having this discussion of like the problem with our values or the things that we believe in is that we have this opinion of like, I do not, I cannot possibly conceive how someone could think that way. And that's problematic to think that like my way of thinking is the right way. How could anyone disagree with me? Yeah. And, and when, when we see things from the left, I also, I only see the best arguments from the left compared to the worst arguments from the right. Yeah. And the right probably is the same. It's like the worst arguments from the left compared to the best arguments from the right. And, and most arguments are actually in between, right? Like most people are in between or should mm -hmm. be in between. But in reality, it, it becomes extremely polarized and, and that's a lot more attractive than things you're, you're meh about, right? Like you, you you don't react to things that you're not particularly interested in. You, you react to things that 
make you feel angry or upset or how, how can this be possible? Yeah, we talk about that a lot in marketing too in business of like creating or invoking that emotion in the customer to get them to buy. Like you either want someone to feel like super excited or feeling like they really need this thing because they're feeling like really crappy about this one part of their life. So this is going to be like the solution to their problem or whatever versus just like, oh yeah, that's a cool thing. Yeah. But I'm not really interested. And, and I worry for democracy because I worry that uh, authoritarian governments are looking at this and, and taking notes. Mm-hmm. Taking notes about how we react to viruses, taking notes about how we react to 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 congregation of different ideas uh heterogeneous populations all of that and and they're taking notes and i i feel like that makes us very vulnerable and i hope we can work that out soon right Mm -hmm. okay you have a meeting in four minutes yes i do have a meeting all right well uh we're gonna leave it rather abruptly i guess yeah we can come back and then we'll we can do an outro all right we'll be uh right back folks back cool so where did we leave off the weather mm, not sure let's go back and listen brb again okay so we just listened back to where we left off and we have no idea what we were talking about so yeah, let's t- <laughs> we're, not gonna, we're not gonna talk about that anymore what's the population size of gravenhurst it's like twenty thousand. no less no it's like 12 or 13 now 12 or 13,000. Mm-hmm. What is that like? All I've ever known. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Personally, I mean, I wouldn't have moved back here. I wouldn't have moved back to here. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. Um, I feel like I wouldn't have moved back here if it wasn't something that I enjoy. I really like the feeling of like a small community because I feel like it's just that. Like if It's more community focused. Like Everyone's kind of looking out for everyone and you know your neighbors and it's like i don't know i don't know how to describe it it's just like what i've always known yeah and i i want to replicate it through the bc commune (laughs) (laughs) no like i i i I think that's the wild thing right like when you live in a larger city you don't know any of your neighbors and you don't really care either it's like you don't want to talk like i talk to my immediate neighbors because they have a cat and it's kind of cute and we talk about it but i don't i don't really I don't really talk to like two houses or three houses after that. Um, and you'd very rarely, I feel like, at least my experience living in a city, you'd very rarely like walk down the street and then just randomly start talking to a stranger. Whereas right. here, like that's totally normal. Right. Or if you're in a bigger city, like if you're in New York or something, to the point where it's like they're aggressive. They're not only indifferent, but they're aggressive. If Get out of my way. <laughs> yeah. I, I always found that pretty fascinating because humans kind of have such large groups of friends, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in heterogeneous but stop. Here we go again, I'm really sorry to the five people that are actually listening to the end of this episode because we're just all over the place. <laughs> I should watch the drop off rate everyone yeah. leaves after like <laughs> the twenty minute mark because we're just like not making any sense. So that's what it's like. What's it like growing up in one of the largest cities in the world? It's uh I find it's really difficult because again it's the same thing as what we were talking about. It's like you just end up generating communities based on values instead of neighbors or geolocation or whatever Mm -hmm. so you end up just meeting the same people and the same people are friends with the same people like you're never like more than one or two circles away from everyone and 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 it creates this it's like the city looks really big but you look at the friend groups and they're not that big Mm -hmm. like even the people you get introduced to are friends of your friends it makes Um, you think of like school like when we were in school like waterloo has what like thirty thousand students or something 
But you're most likely just going to be friends with like the same people you have classes with exactly. that are in your program or in your faculty or that hang out with the people that are in your program. And yeah, that's always been like very interesting. Like yeah. it makes sense. You're you like you spend time with the people who are focused on the same thing as you, but at the same time, it's kind of like interesting to think about. Yeah, and 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 now now that I'm I'm moving to Vancouver, like it's gonna be the same. Like Vancouver is, is not much larger than KW. Like I think it always like five hundred thousand, and Vancouver Metro is probably like seven hundred thousand. But I don't, I don't know if that's the right size city for me because I do want to know my neighbors. I do want to create a community and. You, you end up kind of doing that in a neighborhood, but in a big city, it's a lot a lot more difficult to do that. Um, I do think there's pros and cons to both, though. Like, even just resources and stuff available living in a city versus, like, here. Like, we were talking yesterday about how I live in Muskoka, which, for those of you who are li- listening from America, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I live in basically, like, the Adirondacks of Canada, so lots of beautiful landscapes, lots of, like massive rocks like we live in the middle of the canadian shield lots of trees nature hiking that kind of thing and we were talking about rock climbing so pablo does rock climbing in the city that he lives in but where i live like it's not really a popular thing that you hear of a lot of people doing other than like super outdoorsy people or at least maybe i'm just not aware but when you move to somewhere like a city that has the population to support cool activities you find yourself able to explore a lot more interests, not just rock climbing, but like literally anything. You could probably find a class for it in a city versus exactly. Like, but, I would have to drive to Barrie to well, do that. But that's hilarious, right? Because uh, here you guys have amazing places to rock climb and to bike, but the population here doesn't do those things. And mm-hmm. in fact, I, it's my understanding that people don't even like biking here because it's not seen as a cool thing to do or like an exercise thing. Yeah. So there's also a problem of perception. Versus in a city, you, you don't have to worry about other people's perceptions, so you can do those like more fringe activities, right? Yeah, we're all just out here, you know, riding our ATVs, drinking beer. I mean, I'm not, but I'm sure people are. Someone is. No, <laughs> no but you know what I mean, right? I know, 100%, and I agree with you. I absolutely, I absolutely agree. Because even if I was like to pick up a hobby, I feel like people would be like, why are you doing that thing? <laughs> right. Because it's like not drinking beer and it's not driving a four-wheeler. <laughs> not to say that that's all people do, but you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's just like yeah. not one of the normal like 10 activities that people do here. So, so is your plan to stay here? For now. I mean, I've told Dan that eventually I would like to move somewhere else. I don't know where, but I've always been like interested in living in different places, learning like different cities and stuff like that. So... I definitely want to go like east or west eventually for a period of time, but when that happens or what that looks like, I have no idea. How, how big was the city in Vietnam where you live? Eight million people. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Crazy. <laughs> there was a lot of different factors that played into like my perception of that experience. Like culturally, it's obviously very different. The size of the city itself is a lot different. It's extremely polluted there i remember going for like a run one day and thought i was gonna die because i couldn't breathe because like the air was so heavy yeah just like an incredibly different experience than i think anything even if i were to move to like a city of eight million people in north america it wouldn't compare to the experience that i had living there just because everything is so different like even something like crossing the street looks totally different than it would here like it's literally a free-for-all nobody pays attention to the traffic lights You'll have motorbikes coming at you from both directions and you just stick your hand out and wave at them and keep walking, hoping that they're going to drive around you. <laughs> like, right. Just... And, and that, that's the funny... Like, you've been to Mexico City, which is yeah. very, very similar to all of that. Yeah. It's like... Exactly. I've driven in Mexico City. <laughs> exactly. How, how was that experience? <laughs> um, 
to be honest, we didn't go very far, so I feel like it wasn't that crazy. I didn't have to get on a highway or anything, but uh, definitely different than here. Yeah, like, uh, and and that's also something so interesting, right? That that you can you can even have a functioning society at that scale with all that chaos. That that anything works is extremely surprising, right? Mm-hmm. Is 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 not the fact that you have to raise your hand and just walk that that it surprises me. What surprises me is that people can drive like crazy and with no rules and and still make driving a possibility, right? Exactly, and they all just like have jobs in you know a regular economy like we do here <laughs> exactly yeah like they buy food they, they work their jobs they drive to work they even though, families. exactly even though every part of that activity is completely different yeah yeah it's so interesting i don't know i still like have it burned in my brain i actually think i talked about this in like the last podcast episode but i was walking down the street one day and this guy just like grabs me by the hair because my oh, hair wow. was down and it was like curly it wasn't aggressive it was mostly just like curious. Mm. So he grabs me by the hair and I turn my head and he's like, Kaizi, which means like, what is this? Because he had never seen like blonde curly hair before. And he was so surprised and confused. And in their culture, like that wouldn't be considered aggressive. It's just okay. like a curiosity thing. So like situations like that were not abnormal. So it's just like here that would never happen. Someone would be calling 911 if they got yeah. grabbed by the hair. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't exactly. Know. Yeah, that's interesting. How, how were you able to handle what's normal and not normal there? It was definitely an adjustment, especially like um, aesthetics and like the way you look is very important there. So I would always get called fat by my coworkers and like all of this stuff. And I think I internalized that a lot at first until I realized that it's like they're not trying to be offensive. It's just like the way it is. So definitely like a period of adjustment, I would say. Do you have like, any interest in going back um, either to Vietnam or somewhere similar? Um, I would love to go and visit. So a lot of my friends who I worked with when I was living there are now like married with children. So it would be really cool to go back and see all of them and meet all their kids. I actually teach English to one of my coworkers' kids once a week. And so that's always super fun, but it would be nice to get to like meet her in person and just see how things have changed. Like it's been almost, I guess, yeah, over seven years since I moved oh, there. Wow. Yeah, which is crazy. So I would love to go back and like go to all my hangout spots and see like what's changed because I'm sure that like businesses have changed and just like the way tourism works there has evolved pretty significantly too. So yeah. Yeah, Yeah, very, very interesting place. I would also love to go to China eventually, but... Have you ever been? No. Yeah, same with me. I'd be interested. Like I work obviously with a lot of uh, Chinese manufacturers and so on. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's very, very interesting to understand um, better how the culture works, how the country works, and all of those things. Do you need someone to organize your trip? Because you could pay me to do that, and then I'll come with you. <laughs> uh, probably, yes. <laughs> we'll do a podcast in, in China about that. Cool. And how's the, how's the podcast in general? Meta, meta podcast conversation. Yeah, what's up, baby? Uh, no, many... things have been going well. Um, I've actually been, since I made a plea on here for people to reach out to me and tell me what they think of the podcast, I've been getting a lot of great feedback. So thank you for that. But no, it's been going well. I think that people seem to be enjoying this more like unstructured format, which is fun for me and a lot less stressful to produce. So that's been good. Right. Just a conversation and then people are just driving or whatever and listening to it exactly and it creates more of that personal element when it's just like me talking about whatever versus like reading a script i think yeah it makes sense we did an episode together we did so actually i wanted to look that up because i feel like it's one of the only so basically here's the situation if you've never like run a podcast before 
the way it works is that you pay to host your content. Once you have over two hours, I think it is, of content, you have to pay the host to like continue to host the podcast for you. So when Allison and I quit doing our podcast, SoundCloud, which is where we were hosting the podcast, only kept two hours of our content and the rest of the content got like archived. So if you go on iTunes, there's only those like two hours worth of content episodes available. And I think that one of the two episodes is ours. So oh, I'm wow. just going to quickly Google it right now. Oh, that's surprising that it survived. Because well. it was at like near the end of when we quit right. quit producing. So well, that, that, was, that was fun recording. Yeah, that would have been like five years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. You're like in your spare bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it's not. I lied. But okay. um, yeah, I, I think I must have saw the picture somewhere on like a Facebook memory or something. Yeah, but... that's fair. That was fun too. Yeah, good times. Yeah, uh, the, the listeners should listen to the uh, Allison episode. It's really fun too. Yeah, I know. I had a lot of really good feedback saying that they want her to come back and host with me. So we'll where's, see if we can get her on. She's in Bracebridge, so oh, she's okay. close. Yeah. But um, good times had by all. So, is there any other stuff you want to talk about? Share I, I, your no, story? No, that's everything I know. Okay, that's all the so I know. Pablo wanted a two-hour episode, and he only talked for like an hour. Or so. Well, I, okay, fair this enough. is part one, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the chopping it up between different things makes it more difficult. So we should start over. Yeah. Yeah. We should talk more about uh, populations and so on. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's it's fun. The, the reason I like long long format multiple hours once is that we don't feel like we're pressed on time to talk mm-hmm. about a specific topic we just talk about it until it's natural to move on and then you move on so it, it feels more a lot like a like a dialogue or a conversation than it is like okay we're supposed to talk about this mm-hmm. just how you were talking about like script versus non-script i feel like long format non-script is the best one to just chat about everything and then you just relax and and talk about things and sometimes it, it takes a while to get into a conversation like the, the first half we did right now, like it probably took us like five to, five to ten minutes to really start talking to a point where we had to look at the clock and be like, okay, now we have to go, right? Yeah. So it, it takes a while to, to, to build that up and, and, and that's that's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know, I find it difficult too, like you don't want to be repetitive. So then you kind of have to like find that balance between having a conversation versus just iterating the same things over and over and over again. <laughs> but, but like normal conversation never have like... I guess, yeah. Repetition, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, you never feel like you're chatting with a friend and you're like, oh, we already talked about this today. <laughs> but on podcast you do because it does feel more... Uh, like, yeah, I don't know if it's just like the... I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. I think the, like the facade, yeah. Yes. Like, I have to present exactly. useful information, so let me just repeat myself five different ways. I think that's legit the problem. It's like <laughs> th- there's already a place where you want to be on the podcast. Must be intelligent. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> let yeah. me know in your latest review whether or not I sound intelligent. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I, f- I feel like that's that's the key of it. So it doesn't feel like a conversation. It just feels like, okay, point, talking point one, talking point two, and then talking point three. And that's what, actually, I was thinking about this because if you go back to like my original interviews from like three years ago they're terrible not the guests but my interview style because it was very much like what is your name what do you do what is this what is that and so you're not really allowing that opportunity for conversation to flow naturally because it's like literally like an interview you'd read in a magazine like question answer question answer yeah plus now i don't want to touch that subject again in case i have to talk about the same thing exactly Versus if it had come naturally that's not even a that's not something you you worry about yeah for sure 
Um, how, how do you divide uh, what you talk about personally? Like how much of your personal life do you just talk about? And how much is it like advice or useful thing? Like, because you could go super personal and just talk about like, oh, today I saw Dan and we did this. And <laughs> so it's, how, how do you balance that? I feel like, so the new format is very new. Like I've only done three episodes now, I think, with this this sort of structure, like three solo episodes that is. And I still try to maintain a theme of like, this is the topic or like idea that I want to talk about today. And then I'll share more like relevant examples of like, this is why I want to talk about this. This is what I'm experiencing right now or what I have experienced in the past and sort of relate it back to personal stories or scenarios that I've dealt with without it just being like, uh, on Monday I did this. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense. So it's like, still valuable to people to be like okay this is something i can take away from the episode while still maintaining that like personal level so that it's interesting to want to listen to yeah well we've been friends for 10 years so i feel like in this episode at least we can it it should be able to be easy to kind of like just discuss uh Mm -hmm. um, personal honest things that 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 we've done right like i feel like the microphone it's almost better if the microphone is really is not here yeah um, and, th- and then it's a lot, a lot more natural. Do you, do you find it, it gets harder to make friends as, as time goes, goes by? Because I feel like I'm getting more and more particular. Like, you know, when you're in high school, it's like, oh my God, you listen to that? And it's like, it's the most popular song there is. Yeah. And now you're best friends. But now it's like, oh, you don't like this very specific obscure thing I like. I don't need you in my life. Yeah. Like, it gets a lot harder to meet people and a lot easier to lose people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking to... One of my clients actually, because she moved here from like Brampton or Toronto, somewhere in the GTA anyway. And I was like, what's it like to move, especially to a small town when you're an adult and make friends? Like, how do you make friends? I don't know. A lot of the friends that I have now are either people I've known from like when I used to live here in high school or like people I met through the fire department or something like that, like a mutual interest, right? I would never like go out and meet people like you don't really do that it's always through a common interest like whether it's a club or something that you're in but i also have like shrunk my friend group pretty significantly over the past few years because like a once you get older you just don't have time to invest in relate like all these millions of friendships and two like not to be awful but like i really just don't care i don't care enough to have to maintain especially like the superficial friendships in my life, I have no interest in like pretending essentially to be friends with someone just for the sake of like, oh, well, we've always been friends. So let's catch up. It's like, no, I really don't care. (laughs) Like there are other people that like I I enjoy spending time with and that I actually am like invested in their well-being and want what's best for them. And that's not to say that I want terrible things to happen to the people that I don't care about. But I just mean that like I only have so much energy. So I'm going to invest it in the relationships that are valuable to me and that I feel are like mutually beneficial. Yeah, and, and family becomes more and more important too, right? That's, a, that's mm-hmm. the other problem. It's, it's that you, you, ha- like you have your partner and then your partner and you have a team and, and, and now that you don't have the space, the mental even space to have like these like seven different things, you're not trying to figure yourself out as much as when you're, when you're younger. Um, that's what's cool about like friends that are more superficial when you're younger is that you can experiment with like things that you normally wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. If you're like, okay, I'll try this out. I don't even like it, but I'm going to do it. Just yeah. because. And, and I feel as I get older, I'm doing a little bit less of that. Uh, again, with the pandemic and stuff, you're even more isolated and less likely to do new things. 
But I feel like, yeah, as, as I get older, I'm limiting my activities I don't like because I'm like, I barely have time for the things I like that I'm not going to do the things I dislike. And that's it 100%. Like once you start to get to realize like who you are as a person and what's important to you, when you have friendships that don't align with those same values, it's honestly like, just like you said, like, what's the point? I don't have time to be doing things I don't want to do. So why would I spend that time with people that I don't want to spend my time with? Yeah. I still feel like I miss out though. I, I, like, I still want to surround myself with those friends that I don't totally agree with because like I worry that I'm going to run into the problem where like I'm in a tech bubble right now, right? Like all my friends are like in startups and mm-hmm. kind of like, stuff like that. So, so like too uh, one-sided. Yeah. That, that changes how you think because now our conversations, we have to find debate at very nuanced, specific things within something. Mm-hmm. So if I talk to someone that is completely in a, different perspective than me it gets a lot harder to to relate right so then the topics become even more superficial because i don't know how deep i can go with that person right and typically you can go extremely deep with people but now i don't have the time to actually make that work to to start the conversation and see where we differ um especially if they differ very early on with me right mm-hmm. so so that's the problem with bubbles and i feel like social media again and, and facebook makes it so easy to reinforce that bubble because now I, I just message people that i know what's going to happen if i message them um, instead of like the arbitrary nature of like just walking down the street and meeting with an old friend that randomly is walking down there too, right? So I worry about that. I worry about that because I reinforce more my view instead of getting more uh, de- deferring views. And that's what makes you grow. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to do something that I dislike because I'm learning something. But I don't know. I think you just need to be like conscious of who you're spending your time with. Are you like diverse? I don't know. Like, I feel like I have a pretty diverse group of friends. Mm. Like, I don't really, I've never been one to have, like, I don't know. I see all these people on the internet, like people I grew up with and whatever, and they all have like their six friends and they've all been friends forever and they only hang out with each other. And you know what I mean? Like, it's always like the same six people doing all this stuff. And like, I'm not like that. I have a lot of like individual friendships with like a lot of people and they're all very, very different. Like there's like you in the startup community. Then I have friends who are like, full-time nurses in the ICU and then I have friends who work from home and friends who work for shipping companies and like have different interests and they all are involved in like you like to rock climb I have friends that play hockey right like right-wing friends left-wing friends and it's just like I've never been one to sort of I guess like surround myself in a bubble of people who all have the same opinions and same perspectives on everything and it's not necessarily I don't think that was ever like a conscious thing that I did it's just like I've always been attracted to different people from different backgrounds and different perspectives. Oh, interesting. So you don't have that problem. I, I feel like for me, it's the opposite where it's becoming more and more common. Like but I, I think it's because your friendships are so connected to the work that you do. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You live because, probably, like, because of where you live. Exactly. Because Kitchener is, like, the tech startup of Ontario. So you're just naturally surrounded by that people. Like, we don't have that here. Everyone works in like a million different industries so right yeah i i think which is funny right like you would think again if i'm in a bigger city it would be a lot more distributed but no because it's a bigger city it's just like you said i get to make a big group of like when you go to school and then you only become friends with people in your program and again when we were in school that was not me like i was friends with people in my program but i was also friends with you and i was friends with like all of these people from all different parts but that's just like naturally what i've always done it's just like spread myself too thin i'm just kidding but you know what i mean yeah and i, I want to get better at that but it's it's hard right like i don't have that many friends who are in like smaller towns for example yeah and you also just don't have time to be like out and exploring the whole world you know <laughs> yeah like i, I legitimately don't know how that how that even works Ob- obviously i 
you get introduced to friends of friends and that kind of stuff but again similar values it's hard to get new values and i'm so i'm a very disagreeable person so it's even harder for me to meet someone right away that disagrees with me because we automatically clash and we never go deep like we're like okay it's, it's very hard for me but then that's the thing too like i don't know if i fully agree with this idea of like you have to have like differing perspectives because i would say like i'm saying a lot of my friends are very different and whatever but at the end of the day we all like have a lot of the same values and stuff because i feel like i wouldn't want to spend my time with someone who doesn't value the same stuff that i do but, but then you get into the trap that it, it's hard for you to understand other perspectives right that's exactly my point it's like because i reinforce the values of my friends i struggle to identify myself with other people with other values and then i get more isolated in some other way or, or i understand the world less right uh, again with the trump thing like everyone's surprised and we should have we shouldn't have been surprised we should have been like oh it's gonna be extremely close because these two arguments are very very close which is the reality so the fact that we have this like huge uh, divide yeah huge divide on what we thought was the expectation value is that we don't really understand other people very well mm -hmm. right like we, sh we should have naturally said oh it's gonna it's gonna be a coin toss like it's that that close but most people don't expect that like right like in my groups people were surprised Mm -hmm. And instead of being like, okay, yeah, so clearly, clearly, it's it's about seeing seeing both perspectives. And again, I worry that social media is the main driver of this separation. These algorithms are the main driver of this separation. And I worry that even more fundamentally to that is because content creation is free. So the only way we make money is through advertisement, which means engagement, which means aggressive behavior or polarized behavior gets the most engagement. hundred percent. So I almost feel like the reason that we have all these like amazing things like YouTube for free. Is because we're paying with this like polarization yeah. economy. <laughs> Choose your side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like polarize yourself in order to manifest the the, the economy of, of this platform. That that's an interesting problem. Mm -hmm. It's like, would it be better for podcasts to all be paid, Walt? Um, would that create a, a better podcast? Because then you 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 neutralize that. I don't know. I don't know if we can reverse that decision, right? Like, I don't think people want to pay for a lot of things anymore. Like, yeah, no, especially not when it comes to like the internet and like apps right. and stuff because there's always alternatives like someone is always going to find or present a way to do it for free yeah exactly so why would i pay and as long as there's free then then again polarization is going to be the name of the game exactly have you talked about the the pandemic on the podcast how it's affecting gravenhurst i've talked with like other business owners so i talked with one girl right when the pandemic was like first starting about how it impacted her business and then i talked to another girl about how she like changed her whole business model because of the pandemic yeah no, that's rough I, I keep complaining about the whole i need different values things but i keep on following people on instagram that don't believe the virus is real <laughs> yeah okay we've never talked about that we've only talked about like the implications on our lives as a result of the pandemic okay. not like whether or not we believe the pandemic is true yeah because we all know that the pandemic is actually just a conspiracy created by bill gates and the like 5G, 5g network oh my god <laughs> Like, like the, there, there are people who legitimately is like completely dedicated to that cause and, and, and they believe that, yeah, that this is all connected and it's conspiracy by the super powerful. And so I was at the grocery store. This was probably, I don't even know, maybe in July. And I'm just trying to put my cart back in the little cart barn thing, whatever you call it. And this lady is in my way. So I'm waiting, you know, my six feet to put my cart away. And she turns around and she looks at me and she goes, oh, you don't have to stand six feet away from me. Like, this thing isn't even real. And I kind of just, like, I'm very non-confrontational, especially with strangers. So I'm just like, 
<laughs> yeah. And I wait for her to get out of the way, and then I go put my cart back, and turns out her car, great, is parked right next to mine. Oh. So she starts going on this rant, and I'm not even exaggerating. It was a 30-minute, one-sided conversation of her explaining to me how coronavirus isn't real. Everyone putting on their masks is just a sheep herding their way into the store, and that it's all a Bill Gates and other powerful elite that have paid to create this virus. And then something, see, this shows how good I was listening. Something about how the 5G network is going to kill us all. So Yeah, I, I think that as, as long as, uh, like, the world is pretty unbalanced, right? Like, whenever you do an activity, some people are really good at that activity. And that creates this, like, hierarchical structures. Um, people will always believe that those hierarchical structures also rule every part of the hierarchical structure. So typically it's like, well, yeah, Bill Gates, obviously, because he's so wealthy, he has control over all these things. But I, I wonder where people draw the line because like J.K. Rowling is also a billionaire and I don't think that anyone's thinking that J.K. Rowling is related to the virus, right? I, I feel like there's something like tech startup CEOs that people associate so many attributes to and they don't realize that they're more normal people than anything. And the, the money on itself is not what's creating this conspiracy theory. I think it's something else, right? Because again, there's other billionaires that nobody considers to be in these powerful positions of creating yeah. these viruses. Like how they only focus on like a certain handful of individuals. Yeah, like it's, Jeff it's, Bezos is always exactly. targeted. It's, it, it's always a tech. Like Elon Musk right now is not targeted for some reason, right? Um, but but maybe he will eventually be like, okay, yeah, this is Elon Musk conspiracy. But there's tons of other billionaires. Mm-hmm. Well, well, like like why well, is not Warren Buffett part of this conspiracy, <laughs> right? Or like Carlos Slim or something like that. Like it, it's very interesting. I, I find it very fascinating that. Like, for example, a lot of athletes, we've, we've gone to agree that uh, some athletes are multimillionaires, right? 100%. Um, and they make hundreds of millions of dollars. But nobody considers them to be in, in top of this, like, super elite group yeah. um, that controls the world. At least not that I know. <laughs> Maybe they're obviously parts of the Send internet. me the links, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why that is. I don't think it's about money, just money. There, there must be something else that gives those people those characteristics. Yeah, like why they get targeted. Yeah, like a lot of people, again, saying, oh, billionaires shouldn't exist. It's unfair for um, for businesses to grow that big. But again, nobody's complaining about J.K. Rowling writing books that became that successful. Exactly. My thing is, I haven't done any reading or like spent any time looking at what these people are saying like why because you know like like literally this lady at the grocery store was like you need to start doing your research okay well first of all research is not the right word because i can guarantee you did not do research you looked on google or facebook but i haven't invested any time in looking at like what those articles say or what those people think yeah it would be interesting to go down the the rabbit hole that they went through and, and get like radicalized the way they did this doesn't escape anyone right like anyone can be radicalized i think people are differently susceptible but it looks like there's the right series of videos or the right series of information like order mm-hmm. where like these ideas start making sense mm-hmm. right yeah like you um, plant the seed and then all of a sudden you're like wait a minute yeah this could be it yeah and it typically starts with a form of questions mm-hmm. like hey i'm not telling you to believe this but what about this what about that are you sure about this and it's sad because what's going on is that people no longer have any, uh, there's not a lot of respect anymore for authority figures. It's like the fact that someone is a director of research in immunology or virology, people are like, well, they're part of the conspiracy. Exactly. Because this one doctor wrote this one study that said that the virus isn't real, so I'm gonna believe them. 
Yeah, but it's funny, right? Because if that one doctor that doesn't believe in the virus became big enough, would those people still follow them? Or now is that doctor part of the, the secret elite? And not, <laughs> like, that, that, that's what confuses me. It's like, if you say the elite are always wrong, so let's amplify voices that are non-elite, you still create your own bubble elite. Mm-hmm. Um, and if those voices were amplified enough, then now you're in the, the weird situation where do I believe in this person or not? Because now they're, now they're elite too. And, and I feel like that's, that's probably the reason the conspiracies always kind of like fizzle out or are never able to, to gain enough traction. And, and also the fact that they're looking for, like they already have the belief, so they're looking for proof that, that justifies the belief. And any proof against it is not enough to justify it. Like there, there's a very interesting documentary on flat earthers on Netflix. And they designed these like experiments, and some of them designed very sophisticated experiments to prove that the Earth is flat. And of course, in the the sophisticated experiments, they demonstrate that the Earth is actually a sphere. And then they explain why the experiment was wrong, or 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 not 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 really a good experiment. So so it's it's fascinating to see the behavior. And again, I I feel like that's that's part of the problem right now with information being free is that you consider two sources of information to be of equal value, even though. that's totally not not the case right but people don't necessarily have the like knowing to be able to decipher what's legitimate information and what's just like crap someone posted on the internet but but, but that's why you have to start with the perspective that i don't know what the conclusion is so let's look at what what the evidence is and then let's start asking questions like abstractly about that instead of saying i know what happened let's look at ways to justify it Right. I, f- I feel like that's all you need to do. I know. I'm be... just saying like most people aren't going to do that. Most people are like of the perspective of I'm literally just going to read this thing that my grandma shared on Facebook and believe it as fact. I know most people. There's very few conspiracy people. We live in different different circles, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> True. Like I, I haven't been approached yet by, by someone talking about Steve, uh, Bill Gates. So to me, that's still like a like a funny ac- anecdote instead of something I've, I've lived. So yeah, it's different bubbles, mm-hmm. different bubbles for sure. So mm-hmm. let us know. What do you think? Let us Is know what coronavirus you coronavirus real or no? What's created by... Uh, Was well, it created by Bill Gates? Or, better yet, what other billionaire created the coronavirus? <laughs> right, That's right. what I want to know. What's the list of billionaires? Message that? me on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I, I see a lot of people also talking about like, oh, Amazon made all this money from the virus. But also, like, Amazon made $40 billion from the virus, or Bezos made $40 billion for the virus. But also, Jeff Bezos went down $40 billion because of the virus, right? Like, a lot of this is just bounce-back effects yeah. um, of not cash, but stock value. But didn't he like sell a bunch of his stocks and then buy them back? He's, or he's or not allowed to sell his stock right away. Like he has to give a lot of time in advance in order to sell stock to oh. avoid the price of the stock to crash. Because if he tomorrow sold 90% of his stock, first of all, the SEC would not allow that. Um, the Securities and Exchange Commission. That just makes me think the SEC won't let me be or let me be me. So yes, let me exactly. Be. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, that's Eminem. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because what, what's what's going on is. If, if he if he was free to sell his stock at any time, and uh, let's say tomorrow he sells 80% of his stock on Amazon, well, that that tells investors that something happened at Amazon, and now Amazon is a bad corporation. Yeah, going down. Exactly. Meow. So so public corporations are not allowed to have uh, major stakeholders sell equity whenever they want. They have to announce it way in advance and how much uh, equity they're okay. going to sell. Yeah. Because I thought, then what happened? Because I'm pretty sure someone told me that he, like, sold a bunch of stock before it crashed 
It crashed, then he bought it back cheaper, and well, then like made a bunch of money. I don't know the specifics, right? Okay. But for example, Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. If if I sell Bitcoin at really expensive prices, and then it crashes, and I buy it back, there's nothing special to that. Yeah. It's, I think it, people just like spin it to make them look bad. Yeah, it could. Like I don't know the specifics. Maybe because maybe there was. Billionaires are part of the elite, <laughs> and they need to be stopped. And, and and maybe maybe it's true, right? Like maybe he he figures something out, but. In the general case, if you own something and it's becoming extremely valuable and you sell it um, and then goes back down, down in price and you still believe it's more valuable than the current price, you buy it again. Mm -hmm. Right? Like That makes sense. So um, this was now uh, Economics 101. Parenting 101, Economics I, I don't 101. know if it's 101 Economics <laughs> because it, it's more like SEC 101. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not allowed to give uh, legal advice. So... Any, anything that sounds like advice, don't take it. <laughs> it's not good. Not good. Well, I'm going to miss you, um, but we can still build that com commune. Yep. Coming soon. 2020-something. Yeah. Nice. We'll have a, we'll put the children all in a barn or something, and <laughs> <laughs> they'll create their secondary community. They're not allowed to use Instagram. Teach um, each other, kids. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my girlfriend, she... Uh, she was actually not allowed to, to, to do a bunch of things. And she's 22 and she's barely learning how to use a microwave because her family didn't allow her to. Super interesting when you've been disconnected from that, like how many things you assume to know how to use. Oh my God, it's really yeah. crazy. She hasn't been vaccinated. So now trying to get her vaccinated. She really wants to get the, obviously the vaccine for the corona. Cool. Well, Good hopefully times. hopefully we don't keep uh, having ignorant voices amplified the problem is that as technology gets better these bad voices get amplified with better and better technology and i'm, I'm really scared of of really good technology in the hands of really really not so great people not so great people right 100 percent. yeah technology is getting more and more accessible at, at what point is that dangerous that i feel like should be the wake-up call for all these platforms to realize that there should be a quantifiable way of looking at data. I, I like that Twitter kind of started with that. Yeah, with I, like I, the flagging the tweets or whatever. Yeah, I still find that it was pretty biased. It was very left-leaning. And, and then people, again, are not going to see it as a reputable source of truth. But I like that we're starting to look at that. I almost wish there was some sort of like monitoring third-party system. But the worst part is that so, some ideas are great um, because n nobody has ever had them before, right? Like at the beginning, we talked about Airbnb. And Airbnb was a good, like, excellent idea because everyone thought it was a stupid idea. Mm -hmm. So you cannot just say whatever is a good idea is just because authorities tell you it's a good idea because then you will never find Airbnb there. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a, such a complicated topic. Cool, Daniel. All right. Thanks so much for coming on. No, thank you. Chatting this was great. It's really good to chat. Later, skater. Later. Take care. Comb your hair. Friends, if you made it this far, thank you. And I don't know if any of that made sense. I went back and edited this episode and I feel like we both have ADD because we just jumped from topic to topic. And I tried to keep whatever I thought might seem somewhat interesting to people in here. But this is really just an accurate representation of what a conversation between the two of us looks like. It has zero fluidity and just we talk about whatever comes to our brains. So if you have any feedback for me, please reach out to me on Instagram. Again, I appreciate you for making it to the end of this episode. I love you so much and I'll be back by myself next week to chat with you again.
If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to hit that subscribe button so that you get notified when new episodes go live. Make sure to rate and review this podcast and be sure to share it with your friends. I'll talk with you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. Love you so much.